Hello, and welcome to the Tap Market Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Scarborough. I'm an entrepreneur who has started, acquired, and more importantly, is focused on growing companies. In this podcast, you'll hear from entrepreneurs about how they got their start, what their company is about, what has worked for them to get to this point, and how they plan to build their brands. Expect to find actionable tactics that you can use to grow your business and get motivated to get through the grind into a meaningful entrepreneurial outcome that will change your life. I'm thrilled to have you here. Be sure to follow us on YouTube and Instagram at Tap Market, and let me know if you've been listening to the podcast. I love connecting and hearing from you. All right, let's get to it. Hey guys, thanks for joining us. This is Troy from Tapped Market, where we're talking to entrepreneurs about what's working, what's not working, and running their businesses in the grind. Today, we've got Hunter Williams on from Zero Oats. Hunter, really happy to have you here. Love this brand. Please tell us what Zero Oats is and why you got into it, how it got started. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Troy, for having me on your podcast. It's a, definitely a privilege and honor to be here. And yeah, I am the founder of Zero Oats, which our short tagline is all flavor, no sugar. Long tagline is it's the world's first naturally flavored sugar-free oatmeal, which means that basically... Most people that eat oatmeal, if they don't eat plain oatmeal, because plain oatmeal is bland and boring, most people that get the flavored oatmeal, whether it's those Quaker little packs or any of the other brands you see at the store, most of those flavored oatmeals are going to have 12 to 15 grams of sugar per serving. Uh, So when I was setting out to do this, I was like, can I get that taste of the flavored oatmeal into something that does not have any sugar whatsoever and also doesn't use any artificial sweeteners, which some people may or may not think are good or bad for your health. But either way, we know it's probably better not to have them if you have your choice. So when I set out to do this, I was like, can I get something that tastes as good as those flavored oatmeal packets that you get from the store, but also does not have any sugar and uh, has basically the same calorie slash macronutrient profile as plain oatmeal. So basically, you can have your cake and eat it too, so to speak. That's kind of where Zero Oats is and uh, what we're doing and working on right now over the last year or so. That's what I've been working on from product formulation and marketing and building an audience and all that stuff. But in a nutshell, that's who we are. So I'm going to ask the question, the the why no sugar question. I've been teeing you up here because I've, I've read the book, The Case Against Sugar, and I think a lot of people generally understand that sugar is bad for you. But why there? Why did you get to start? in focusing on eliminating sugar, is that the piece that made you ambitious about creating this brand singularly? Or where did you get this passion to eliminate sugar from your diet, maybe even holistically? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, most people know now, unless you've been living under a rock, sugar is probably not good for you. I think people can debate the carnivore diet, keto diet, vegan diet, all those things. There's good and bad cases for each of those. But most people would say, yeah, sugar is probably not good. It can be used effectively if you're doing it smart around workouts and things like that. But for the most part, you want to eliminate added sugar out of your diet. I think that's one diet principle everyone can agree on. But to go back to kind of where I got the idea and inspiration. So I don't have any of one of those like crazy entrepreneur stories. I grew up in a family. My dad owned his own landscaping business. So that was kind of what I was exposed to as a child. I worked with him growing up in high school and uh, sometimes in college in the summers. You know, I wouldn't say I was like that kid that was like selling lemonade or anything like that when I was younger, but I was obsessed with sports. And this is kind of what led me into 
doing something around health and nutrition. So before I can even remember, and my parents have even told me like when I was like two or three years old, when football games were on TV, I would go like bang on the TV. I just love football. That was all I wanted to do with my entire life from like the age of five or six. I had an encyclopedic knowledge of college and NFL players, statistics, all those things. I absolutely love football. So that was definitely my passion growing up and through high school and college and everything. In high school, I knew I wanted to play college football and I was a little undersized and uh, didn't really get recruited, didn't get any offers or anything. So I walked on to a college team at Wake Forest University, which is where I went to college, played there, had a pretty good career, got put on scholarship, all that good stuff. But for me, the more I got into my athletic career, the more I just became obsessed with everything. So performance, nutrition, dieting, weightlifting, how to use my body as a vehicle to become the best athlete that I could. And uh, I would say in high school, I had no concept of what nutrition was whatsoever, especially when you're really active. You kind of just eat whatever you can to maintain the calories and provide fuel. And then uh, as I got to college and I really just became obsessed with becoming the best that I could, I understood that, okay, this is going to take nutrition. This is I got to dial in my sleep and all these different areas uh, that contribute to your performance. And so that's where I first got interested in nutrition. I was like, oh, fried food isn't good for you. You're not going to perform as good if you're eating fried food versus lean proteins and healthy carbohydrates and vegetables. So that's where I first became aware of it. And um, as I moved on from playing football, finished up my football career, most people that have athletic backgrounds understand this is that whatever you're doing, I always tell people, I'm still playing football. It just happens to be in the arena of business and entrepreneurship today because that becomes in your DNA. How you compete gets integrated into your DNA. And then once that's over, you look for these other outlets to try to channel that energy into. And for me, that was just being active, lifting weights, talking about it to other people, anybody that would listen, and obviously the nutrition component. So when I was 23 years old, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I knew from like seeing my dad, I was like, I don't know what that's going to be. But uh, I had worked at a bank for a little bit, absolutely hated it. I just was not cut out to be the corporate type person or I chose not to be. So I got into real estate because it was an industry that you can get into with pretty low capital. And uh, if you're willing to work hard, you can outwork other people. So for the last six or seven years, I've been a residential real estate agent, but I always had this like burning desire inside me to do something in health and nutrition. You know, I could go work real estate during the day and by some way or another, I would end up working with clients and then we would be talking about diet and stuff like that. So that was one of those things that if you ask yourself, what do people kind of come to me for advice about? What do people end up talking to me about? It was always like diet, nutrition, exercise, and all these things. I was like, man, I wish I could start a company that was somehow like in that space. But I just didn't have the concept of like what that took how I could use marketing, how I could build an audience, all those things. And it was in, I guess, yeah, like September of 2021. I was kind of like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I don't know what it's going to look like. There's all this opportunity out there to do things using the internet through e-commerce to be able to build something. And this is where I actually came up with the idea. So I don't know, are you familiar with a guy named James Altucher, Troy? I'm not with James, no. Okay. Yeah, he's kind of like one of those internet online business type people. He ran a hedge fund before he got into that world, but he has a lot of these like self-help books and everything. I think I heard him on a podcast 
say, uh, one thing that you should do is write down 10 ideas every single day. No matter how crazy, how crackpot, how wild it is, just write down 10 ideas. And uh, I've been journaling for probably four or five years now. That's really, really important to me. It's very therapeutic. And I try to make sure it's the first thing I do in the morning. A part of my journaling exercise that I do is I would write down 10 ideas every day, whether they're business ideas, ideas of things I want to talk about, work on, write about, whatever. And one day, like a couple months before that, I was kind of writing down all these like healthy food ideas. You know, I was like, it'd be cool to have a business about this, about this. And I'm also the kind of guy that like, I'll go to the grocery store and spend way too much time there because I'm like walking up and down the aisles looking for new brands. Be like, ooh, who invented like a healthy cookie, a healthy protein bar, all these different things and criticize like, oh, this is a quote unquote healthy brand, but it's not really that healthy. I know that feeling. I'll go to like Ace Hardware and do the same thing. You know, like I'll be in there forever, just like picking up products and being like, where is this copy Googling the company on my phone, trying to figure out, oh, this is so awesome. How do they invent flex seals? It's crazy. And you don't think about, you know, you go to the grocery store and there's thousands of brands just in one grocery store. And for the most part, most of those, not all of them, but most of them, at some point where one person that was like, hey, I've got this idea for this thing. And let me see if I can do it. Even if it's like, wasn't an original idea, it was still someone that said, hey, like, I think I can make this and do it. And now you go, especially like a health food store, like a Sprouts or a Whole Foods or something like that. Most of the brands in there are people that did that. So I kind of like, as I was going through that journaling and stuff, I was like, well, these other people can do it. You know, I'm like, I think I had built enough confidence as an entrepreneur, like being in real estate. So you work for yourself for a while and you're like, yeah, I can do this. Right. You know, whereas a lot of people... They may have the idea in their head, but they're like, well, they have the limiting belief that I couldn't do that. But anyway, I was writing down stuff one day and I was writing down all these like sugar-free ideas, like a sugar-free cookie, sugar-free cereal, sugar-free Rice Krispie bar, all these different things. I was like, sugar-free oatmeal. Now that would be really cool if you could have something that was an oatmeal that was flavored, but it was also sugar-free. Kind of like we were talking about before we hopped on, I had studied this company called Magic Spoon that had started, I think their value proposition is like high protein, low sugar cereal. So for what it's worth, actually some of their ingredients I would disagree with as being healthy because they use refined seed oils in their formulation. But point being is that's kind of like where the tailwinds of the industry are headed is to being like these higher protein, lower sugar type products that also kind of like integrate the nostalgia of guys like our age when we were kids that had these pretty unhealthy breakfast snacks. And now like that generation of people are older and they're making health decisions and budget decisions at the grocery store when they're buying stuff. And so I was like, okay, well, let's see if we can go with this. So I had, again, no idea about how to start a food company, anything like that, but I was like, I'm going to do it. So I was like, well, I guess the first part would you should like start experimenting with ingredients. So I went on Google and was searching for like sugar-free flavoring, sugar-free sweeteners. And I wanted to make sure that I used a natural sweetener instead of an artificial sweetener. People can debate whether artificial sweeteners are good or bad for you, but I wanted to be on the side of, I would rather have a natural sweetener that I know is good than to use one that's artificial, that it could be debatable, you know, like aspartame or sucralose or one of those things that some people may say are bad for you. So Literally went on Google, started searching, found different suppliers and was like ordering all these ingredients and would have them shipped to my house and like mix them up and see which ones work, see which ones didn't work, try to get the ratios right and all this stuff. So 
I was literally just in my kitchen experimenting with all this stuff. And the point being, I'm not a chef or anything like that. I cook my own food, but it's very bare bones. It's just enough to like sustain me. I'm not like a good chef or anything like that. But I was passionate about and am passionate about this. So that probably took like three or four months of getting like an actual formulation. And then I had to go through the process of getting approved as an actual food product that I could sell to other people. And there's two different ways. And I, I didn't know any of this going into it, but there's two different ways you can kind of go about this. You can basically outsource everything to a co-manufacturer. So a lot of places you can have them like develop the formulation and all that stuff, and then they'll make it for you and then you can sell it. So it's kind of more of like a hands-off thing. They do all the formulation and stuff. The only problem with that is that it sometimes can get very, very expensive and you might not actually end up liking the product. So say you go to one of these companies, you pay them fifteen dollars to $30,000 to formulate a product, tell them you want these ingredients and they'll make it. But then you're kind of stuck with whether that tastes good, whether it's going to be a good product or not. I was like, well, I don't want to really risk that. I would much rather do this myself. And I found out that you can use what's called a commercial kitchen. So basically that would be most local cities are going to have them. Basically, it's like a shared facility that's going to have all the equipment and machinery and everything to make food products that local businesses, local food brands, caterers, bakeries, things like that will use. And I found out that you'd go this route, I could order all of my own ingredients. And by this point, I kind of had a formulation that I knew would work. Then you have it shipped to the commercial kitchen, use all their equipment to make everything. Obviously, you got to do it yourself. But at least at that point, I knew I was like controlling what the product was going to look like. Also, a good part about that is it's a lot cheaper than going the co-manufactured route. So I got all that squared away. And most commercial kitchens, if you're a new brand... They'll help you do all of the regulatory navigation. So getting approved through the FDA and all that stuff. So that took like another two or three months to go through that. And then I would say right around April of 2022 is when we like finally got all that out of the way, got all of the uh, regulatory requirements, all that stuff done. I also went through a couple of iterations of different flavors where I would say like initially we probably had like 50 to 60% of people they would say, oh, that's a good flavor. And then the other people would be like, eh, I don't really like it that much. So I was like, kept iterating on that, experimenting with different ratios and stuff. To whereas now, I know just from doing live events with complete strangers and completely random people that for the most part, nine out of 10 people, when they try our product, are going to say, wow, that's actually really good. It tastes good. It has a good flavor profile. So that was important too. And uh, went through you know a few months of doing different festivals and live events and local markets and things like that to kind of hash it out. That's kind of the backstory and everything. I know it's a long winded way to get there, but that's kind of how we got here today. I like that. I mean, there's a lot of entrepreneurs working in this food space. I mean, you can tell when you go to flea markets or other sort of like pop-up farmer's markets, a lot of those are in your early positions and they're trying stuff out there. You know, but you even go to the local grocery store and how many different granola bars are there that are totally sustainable out there? Look at the success that RX Bar had. And they started out, I think, making their own RX Bars similar to what you're doing with your oats. So food's a gigantic industry. I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs in it. We had Ryan and Tristina on from Miss Mary's Mix and they have a zero sugar coffee additive. And it's really starting to take off because people are... Like you talked about, so aware of trying to eliminate sugar 
from their diets, it's, it can be one of the biggest needle movers for you feeling better, along with seed oils, which you mentioned in there briefly as well. So I really like where you're going. Where are you today from a sales perspective or from a launch perspective? Where are you today? How many different products do you have? Give the audience a little bit of an update on where you are. So as of today, I think revenue-wise, we've definitely done over 10K in revenue. Nothing huge, but enough to say like, okay, there's like people that like this product. I think when we started getting reorders from people that had tried the product, and now we have a few people on subscription and uh, people that will go in and make reorders, that's when it's like, okay, like people like this. That's a good price point. They want it reordered and they enjoy it. So I'd say revenue were around 10K. And this is primarily on your Shopify website, just selling direct to consumer, zeroats.com, correct? Yeah, zeroats.com, Z-E-R-O-A-T-S.com. Yeah, all direct to consumer. So that's all direct to consumer through our Shopify website. And how did you acquire those customers to begin with? Was it friends and family? Was it farmers markets? Was it locally? Was it advertising, Facebook group? How did you get the momentum to even get that? Because $10,000 is is nothing to shake a stick at. That's that's a significant tailwind. I mean, your, your price point's not that high. It's a consumable morning oats product. So there's a bunch of purchases in there. How did you get those first customers? Uh, so a couple different ways. I would like to say they were like all in-person events. Ironically enough, the in-person events barely yield any sales, but they're good from an experimental standpoint. One of my good friends and kind of mentors is a guy named Jay Campbell. He was kind of our first launch per se, because he has an email, a pretty good size email list and following in the like health optimization and biohacking space. So right around when we first got the product and everything, we're like, okay, this is a good product. He actually sent out an email, just one email to his email list. And I would say we probably got like three or 400 customers just from that one email. The problem was like trying to fulfill all the orders. But I would say we got a good amount of customers from just that one email that he sent out because he has a pretty loyal following. And a lot of those customers have become repeat customers because they like the product. And obviously, they're kind of similar minded in taking care of their body, making sure that everything they put in their body is very high quality. The rest of them actually came... (laughs) And this kind of depends on like your capital structure, how much money you have and stuff. I am a big fan of paid advertising. And I got very familiar with that having been in real estate and understanding how to use Facebook ads. And I think right now we have like just under 900 customers in our customer database that have made purchases. And what I did is I built a free plus shipping funnel and ran that as a Facebook ad. So what I would do is just run a Facebook ad that said, hey, this is our product. Boom, boom, boom. Zero sugar oatmeal. If you want it, you can try a sample. You just got to pay $10 for shipping. And in that funnel, I would have an upsell that once people say, yes, I want that offer, you know, they raise their hand, that they could get a discount on the variety pack, which would be 12 packs in total for each flavor. I don't think I mentioned we have four flavors total. So we have a classic flavor, which is kind of your maple and brown sugar type flavor that most people would associate with oatmeal. We have a toasted cinnamon flavor that I would say is kind of like the cinnamon toast crunch flavor of oatmeal. Then we have a blueberry flavor. So it does not have any actual blueberries in it, but it has an organic blueberry sugar-free extract. So they condense down the flavor from blueberries and extract all of the sugars and everything from it. And so 
That's the blueberry flavor. And then we have a vanilla flavor. So we got four flavors in total. And our biggest product right now that people buy is the variety pack where they get three of each flavor. This is a theme that we run into with entrepreneurs kicking off. And I'm glad that you went through those details. There's two key pieces there that every new entrepreneur can try to focus on to get those initial sales. Number one is finding essentially an influencer. Whether the email list partner that you worked with thinks they are or not, essentially they're an influencer. They had an engaged audience base that trusts that sender and their business or however they acquired the emails to when they make a recommendation that they're more willing to open it, more willing to look at it, more willing to convert on it. And you can do that with email lists. You can do that with social media platforms. You can do it a bunch of different ways. And you can go out and find a pool of target influencers that would align with your brand and partner with them and do affiliate marketing or some sort of conversion value for them. And you can give a lot of value to that person because you may just want to break even or maybe even take a little bit of a loss to get that customer in because you know you're going to be able to sell more to them. So that's number one. Number two was your your point on, we call it lead magnets, right? Create a lead magnet that you can break even on or, or close. Again, your free plus shipping. Drew Camp was on with his Tedco pre-workout product. He does that as well. You create these sort of sample packs, make it really low risk for somebody to convert with you. It feels like they're getting it for free and they're just paying for shipping. But in a lot of times, it can totally cover the costs of the samples and actually shipping it to people because oatmeal has got to be, those free plus shipping, they got to be under a pound, right? So shipping USPS under a pound is relatively inexpensive. I know we do it with our Forest and Herald wallets from Massachusetts to California is four bucks for a probably up to 10 ounce, two wallets type scenario. So lead magnets, whether it's a, a free plus shipping or any type of lead magnet, the key focus there is to try to capture the email address, try to get the asset, the conversion from the person, and then put them into the email funnel to cross-sell, upsell, drive the lifetime value. I like what you pointed out there with doing some upselling thereafter, immediately even. They've converted with you or they've taken a step with you. Why not ask them, hey, you can get the free plus shipping, but you want me to just send you more? It doesn't hurt. They can decline that offer but it doesn't hurt to offer it to them because they may already have decided that they're committed to consuming something from you. Yeah, absolutely. To that point, you know, I was kind of shocked at, I think 23% of the people took the upsell in that funnel. I don't have it live right now because we've been getting our inventory ready and everything. I got some new packaging design and stuff, but that was a huge bump and it basically helps kind of keep that funnel more around break even. The way I'm thinking about building this business is especially because it's a consumable product in the CPG world, you kind of have to think this way is if I could get this to 5 million, 10 million in revenue and not make one dime of profit. Now, obviously, it would be nice if I can, but just from a management standpoint of everything, you have your inventory, advertising, marketing, operations, all that. If I can do that without losing money, per se, <laughs> just breaking even, to me, that is a massive victory because I know that at least 15 to 20% of the customers are going to like the product so much that they're going to buy it multiple times throughout the year. It's not as much losing money as it is reinvesting into your growth, right? Exactly. If you were to turn off growth on a million-dollar oat company, 
you could probably walk away with a percentage of profit, but choosing to reinvest, let's say, a 15% margin profit back into it to go from a million dollars to $3 million, that's the choice that you're making. I think a lot of people need to do that early on because you just need to get the scale, right? You need to get to a level where Hunter's not making every single oat in his commercial kitchen up the street because you're not going to see profits at the rate that you'd want until you reach a certain level. You just have to get to commercial packaging. You have to get to customer acquisition costs that are manageable with organic conversions mixed in, the total ad costs, the tacos, stuff like that. So I think that's smart long term. Yeah. And I think too, with a food product, the biggest expense is getting people to know about it. I could have a zero calorie pizza. You know, you can eat a deep dish pizza and it's zero calories, but if no one knows about it, you're not going to be able to sell it. And so that's like the bigger thing I think with the food product is luckily with online stuff, I don't necessarily have to compete against a Quaker oatmeal because it's not on the shelf at the grocery store next to them. So I can charge a premium price point, which is a premium product. It's made with organic ingredients. So they're getting something that, you know, in my opinion, is 10 times better than what they would buy at the grocery store. But it's also going to cost five to 10 times more depending on the product. And that's okay because you're doing it online. You're selling online where you can actually create the value proposition around this. And then, like you said, use whatever's left over to reinvest into the growth so that hopefully one day you can get it in the grocery store. And at that point, economies of scale kick in and your margins are driven up higher because you know, you're doing it at the volume, whereas right now it's not a ton of volume. So the cost and everything are more expensive. So totally agree. Yeah. I like what you're talking about there. You're talking about having a premium product and you need an opportunity essentially to communicate with your audience too. Like if you just tried to launch straight into grocery stores, even if you had the shelf space, it wouldn't directly correlate to sales because people wouldn't necessarily know anything about your brand. You wouldn't be able to tell your story. They wouldn't be able to connect with you. They wouldn't be able to share that with other like-minded people in their network. You have to have that medium early on to explain why you're different from everyone in how you're solving the problems for your target audience, right? You can speak to those new moms who don't want their kids to eat cinnamon toast crunch like their husband did when he was a kid, right? We're trying to we're trying to live a better life than you lived, yeah. Tim. You know, Johnny needs to have zero sugar. It makes sense. And you have to do that. I mean, heck, a lot of people are getting groceries delivered to their house anyways through Instacart or Whole Food shopping. So it's totally reasonable to connect with somebody online with a food product, get sales. And who knows? Someday being in Whole Foods is going to be a great opportunity, but you'll have this data to go to them and say, this is what I've been able to accomplish direct to consumer. So there's real adoption and something you can show them to say, this is why I deserve to be on your shelves. When someone sees this product, they convert this frequently. Yeah. So where do you go from here? What's sort of next on the strategy? I know you said you're making some more product, but what's the next 60 days look like? And what, what does the next 12 months look like for you? So right now what I have going on my, behind the scenes, and if all goes is planned, hopefully by the time this airs, we will be live on Amazon. So you'll be able to buy it through Amazon Prime and get it there. So uh, that's kind of my focus right now is 
what I call is like building the foundation. So we've got the D2C side built on our Shopify store where I can handle the fulfillment and everything that way. But I do want to be on Amazon. And a lot of people would say, and there's different schools of thoughts on this, of you can do D2C and you can do influencer marketing and all that stuff, which we can. But I do want to go on Amazon. One, if you look at it, at least in the United States, out of all e-commerce transactions, around 50% take place on Amazon. So there are certain customers and certain people probably myself included, that really only buy stuff on Amazon. Now, I will buy stuff through people's websites, but I'd say like 80% of everything that I buy from a consumable goods standpoint or things like that are through Amazon. So there's you know a huge pool of customers there. And there's a really good amount from what I've looked at analytics-wise of people that are buying oatmeal on Amazon. The strategy with that is like, one, you want to be where customers are, but two, it adds this credibility to your brand where, you know, it's funny, like when I've done all these live events and in-person stuff and I tell people, hey, you can buy it through our website, they kind of have this thing where it's like, oh, that's cute. You know, like that's cool that you like have a little product and you sell it on the website. Like, kind of like you have an Etsy store. And when it goes to Amazon, all of a sudden, if you tell someone, you know, hey, go on your phone on Amazon and you can buy my product right now. There's this thing that's in their head that's like, whoa, that's legit. Like that person has a brand that's on Amazon. And for people like me and you, Troy, you know, it's not, I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of a complication to it, but it's not that much different than selling your product through your own store. It just happens to be through Amazon. You make your product and you, instead of shipping it to a 3PL or fulfilling the order myself, you ship it to Amazon and Amazon does all the fulfillment. But I think especially for a food brand where people may be a little bit more skeptical, you know, than buying a watch or even a wallet online, there's something about Amazon with a food product. It's like, okay, like Amazon has vetted this, therefore... Obviously, it's safe to eat and stuff where some people, they may still have a little bit of that hesitation of buying directly from a food company's website. And also, too, like you said, a lot of people are just buying their groceries on Amazon already. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I'm going to buy my groceries. I'll add the oatmeal for it. So that's what I was going to say. When they bought Whole Foods and made that pivot, I felt like Amazon's credibility in the food space just went through the roof. Yeah. Even though there weren't probably really even that many food items listed on Amazon at the time of that acquisition, I feel like it's just gone bananas. Whether it was all the people in Whole Foods who converted to Amazon sales direct or vice versa, but it's, I agree with you. I feel like there's a lot of validity there. I feel like there's also good enough tactics for food brands to be able to try to recapture those customers directly to their own websites for subscribe and save type stuff. So you don't have to necessarily lose the customer forever and pay Amazon 15% fees and whatnot. Although that that's still a lot of times can be very still profitable and plausible way to run your business exclusively like that. Sometimes we look at it like a customer acquisition tool for us to just break into somebody through a different medium because so many people are already captively buying there. It really is just a pay-per-click arbitrage of what's more expensive. Is it more expensive to do an ad on Amazon to a captive Amazon audience or an ad on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or Google and convert them there? If you net net it out, the profit that you walk away with at the end of the day can be very similar. The key difference is owning the customer. Everybody wants to say, I was able to build an asset off of Amazon because then I, I gained control of it, right? There's well-documented scenarios where people Amazon accounts get shut down for like no reason and 
you know, the problems with regards to getting product there and how does it get destroyed for no reason? It seems like they're like manipulating the system to extract any value from it, but use it as a tool, right? There's many of million dollar businesses on, on Amazon, but find those tactics, whether it's through review capture or warranties or gift giveaways or a good one in the food brand space, Ryan and Tristina from Sinless Syrups and Miss Mary's Mix, when we were talking to them was a Facebook group. Tristina's putting together recipes. And so she has a little QR code insert that you can scan that, takes them to the Facebook group. They join that, they learn how to make new recipes. That could be something that you could do as well. The point being is how do you engage those customers to add value to them? to get them continuously coming back and buying more from you and not potentially losing them out to a competitive product on Amazon. Yeah, it's funny too. A lot of direct-to-consumer brands that I personally, and I'm only speaking for myself, but I think a lot of people would do this too, I actually discovered through Amazon. So for instance, if I would like before, I just for example, I buy uh, collagen protein. And when I went to Amazon, I searched for collagen protein. I found a good brand that I like. And I was like, well, I wonder if they sell this cheaper on their website after I bought it a couple of times on Amazon. Lo and behold, it's way cheaper on their website. So they didn't even have to put an insert or anything for me there. And now that's the only collagen protein brand that I buy. And it was because I found it on Amazon. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go to their website. So I signed up for their email list. They send out discounts on their email list and stuff. So I do like Amazon as a customer acquisition, especially if you're focused. A lot of people, you know how this is, Troy. They're just focused on like, how can I extract... $2 million out of Amazon this year, whatever it is, like whatever product, whatever it is, it's like, no, I'm building a brand and I'm using that as a tool to feed into my brand. And I want that to come back. And the cost of it is the cost of, I'm not trying to extract money out of Amazon. I'm trying to acquire customers. And I, even though I can't get the email directly from the sale on Amazon, I'm building brand loyalty in a way where people want to come back to my brand and have this loyalty and brand equity built up through that mechanism. So I think as a food product, it's going to be huge on Amazon for us from that sense. And Amazon's getting better at that too. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Amazon has the follow feature for the brands. They've had the A plus content and the brand content that you can add to your, your own brand pages. They've got the post feature now, which is basically like a mini Instagram within there. And so like we're focusing on this with with Forrest and Harold, acquiring followers on Amazon. So when we launch a new product or a product comes back in stock or we want to reach out to them to buy another product, you can actually start to email those people. They'll see posts that you make. And so Amazon is really trying to take on the Shopify world so that you can run a whole business on Amazon and have a brand, a real brand story and a brand feel that people will come and shop more broadly all of your products. And I think it's going to actually add a lot of value to brands like yourself and, and like ours, because you're just trying to differentiate from these faceless manufacturers overseas that have no customer service support don't have any real story, don't have any real brand identity, don't have any sort of follow through with their customers. They're just literally overseas manufacturers pumping cheap product on Amazon. I noticed that in the wallet space with Forrest and Herald that 
they're not getting as far as we're getting fast with some of the new brand building tactics on Amazon. And so good for Bezos bringing that for us smaller brands to differentiate ourselves. Yeah, it's kind of like you kind of know what they're doing because they want more of that pie of like having the small business on there. But in a good way, I don't know, 10 years ago, even if I would have wanted to, I don't think I could have built an oatmeal company in a year and had a product, you know, where like I'm exposed to all the amount of people and be able to ship my product all around the country. So that's what it is allowed it to do. And, you know, a lot of people get caught up in that of like, well, I, you know, Amazon, I can't build my email list. Obviously, if I had my choice, I would want everyone to be on the email list. But then again, it's also the customer acquisition aspect of it. And it's allowing me to hopefully get to a few million in revenue to that point where it's like, okay, well, now I can reinvest. And if I do want to do that side, here's an interesting too about thing about Amazon that I was talking with a guy that helped me with my ads for a little bit is that just from having the brand on Amazon, it helps decrease your CPA or cost to acquire a customer through paid advertising on other platforms. So he's actually, because he's worked with a ton of D2C brands, when they do paid advertising just through Facebook, their cost per acquisition goes down because what people do is they see the ad on Facebook and instead of buying it through that ad or signing up for the offer or the lead magnet or whatever, they go to Amazon because they can get it two-day shipping. And so what happens is it's kind of like feeding back and forth and you have to track all this at a macro level to see it, but he's done it enough where he knows that if a product is on Amazon, it's going to help drive the conversion cost down from their Facebook ads because people are going to Amazon. So it all goes back to like feeding the brand. And I think that's where a lot of people get lost. Is they don't have like a brand identity of what they want to do. And that's one of the most important things because as you know, Troy, because we've talked about this before, as much as I may not have wanted to admit this as a younger entrepreneur, because I was all about tactics and stuff and what are the hacks to get me where I want to go, it's just about building relationships with people. And if you put that in the context of serving other people, so serving other people through building relationships, whatever it is, through wallets, through oatmeal, whatever it is, you're going to be building a business. And that's what business is. And that's what all these other tools, you know, we get into the weeds about the taxes and stuff, but it's just serving that purpose of building the relationships with people through providing them with something that they like and enjoy. You know, I like that. And I love where your product's going. What I'd like to see out of Hunter in the next few months is, is more of that, more documenting that process, because I think it helps people connect with you personally in your story and how you're serving them and with the brand and where their food is coming from and all of those pieces. So you're at this pivot point right now where you've had success, you know what's working, you know the processes that you're working on and just some real original content about you and the process you're going through, I think would be a huge value add to doubling your business in the next 12 months or two months even. So if you haven't started to document yourself, get on it because I want to hear more about that story. And, and I want... I want to have you back here when you're launching those next products and when you're engaging more of the influencers and you're having success with your free plus shipping to tell some more of these stories about how this works. Because there's no doubt the products, the product's phenomenal. There's huge demand for this product. So I look forward to hearing more about the wins and telling the audience about it. I'm going to end up doing a video 
of the product myself on the YouTube channel and the social channel so everybody can check it out there. But tell everybody again, sort of where to find you or what can this audience do to help you reach those next goals? Yeah. So by the time this airs, it should be on Amazon. So if you just go on Amazon and search Zero Road, so that's just one O-Z-E-R-O-A-T-S. Or if you do want to try the free plus shipping offer, you can actually go to go.zeroats.com slash sampler. And I can give you that link, Troy, to put in everything, but it's just go.zeroats.com slash sampler. Or you can go to our website and there's a link to get the sample, the free plus shipping there too, which is just zeroats.com. But yeah, definitely going to be focused on doing more of documenting the business. You know, I'm kind of like always torn about that, Troy, because if I could choose, I would like have my face nowhere and I would have like be completely behind the scenes and like be behind stuff. But I think we're in an era where people, especially with what we're doing, they would rather see a face to a brand. And I just have to be comfortable enough with like going out and doing that and saying, hey, that's okay. And, and I think too, you know, we're kind of this point where like people would rather buy from other people rather than like a faceless, nameless entity. And uh, you don't have to be like an influencer. You don't have to be, you know, doing some of the crazy stuff that we kind of have in our head of what influencers are. You just got to be yourself. And I think when you do that, some people would say that's kind of corny, but I think when you do that, you're going to attract the audience that is going to love your product anyway. So There's a mindset shift. The, the entrepreneurs that I talk to, and I've had this conversation myself, where you, you can feel like you're almost an imposter because you haven't created this multi-million dollar products company that's proven to be so successful that nobody can question whether or not it's legitimate. And that's a really toxic way of trying to go about building a business. The mindset shift that we can sort of leave everybody with who's out there trying to build their brand or thinking about building their brand is being an enthusiast in your space. Hunter didn't think about wanting to create sugar-free zero oats since he was a kid. He's not the fourth generation zero oats sugar-free guy. This was you were enthusiastic about eliminating sugar from your diet because you just knew it was a good thing and you couldn't find it. And you're probably enthusiastic about improving your diet and learning how other people can do that too and what you consume. And that's even what this Tapped Market podcast is about. We're enthusiastic about entrepreneurship. Do I have all the answers? Absolutely not. But what we're going to do is we're going to go out there and learn about it and teach about it and talk about it. And maybe one day we'll be an expert. We'll wake up and have this successful business. But along the way, the enthusiasm is what really gets you through. And there's a lot of real candor in enthusiasm in the connection with other people. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just You have to actually believe in what you're working on and do it in an enthusiastic way. And I think that takes you really far. So keep going, man. And come back on here. Let us know how it's going. I'll post all those links in the podcast bio, post them on the YouTube videos. Everybody go try it. Check it out. Do the free plus shipping. Hopefully we crash the website with that. <laughs> and we'll talk soon. I appreciate you coming on, Hunter. All right. Thanks, Troy. It was awesome talking to you. And uh, hopefully, like you said, many more episodes in the future to come. Thanks. See ya. Hi there. If you found this podcast helpful, I would appreciate it if you took a minute to leave a review. This increases the reach to more entrepreneurs and other people interested in the products, brands, entrepreneurial stories, and their successes. So we can create even more positive small business outcomes. 
Take a screenshot, tag me in your social stories to friends. This means the world to me to know this podcast has influenced your day in life in a positive way and that we get to be a part of your own journey. With gratitude from me, until next time, go make it a great day.